you that it's your word that changes us. It's your word that ministers to the deepest parts of our being. It's your word that alters us forever. And I thank you for your spirit that brings your word to life. Your spirit that lives in us, that brings the the word of who you are into being. That somehow we find ourselves living lives as our forerunners. Because your word will perform on itself. So I thank you. I thank you for your word this morning. I pray you speak through me this morning, Lord. I am but a mouthpiece. And I thank you for this body who hungers for you hungers for your word, who is being built up and encouraged by your word and your word alone, by your spirit, that you are leading us into all truth, all truth, and you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth. And the only life that is worth living is the resurrected life in Christ. Lord, I pray your word ministers to every heart in this room, every heart in this room, every every ear that, that will hear your word this morning. I pray it will penetrate and it will be exactly what is needed for every individual in some way, in some form. Bless you this morning, Lord. We love you. There's no one like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, music team. Beautiful. Morning, everyone. (laughs) Morning now. How are we? Good. Thumbs up from Cena in the back there. Um, If you don't know me, my name's Mel, and I've been part of this incredible family uh, for about 10 years, and it's been the journey of a lifetime. And um, so if you're new with us, welcome. Um, Not just welcome to the building, but welcome to what God is doing here. Um, Being part of it will change your life, and uh, it's been an absolute honor. Um... It's been an interesting week. Um, Spurgeon once said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throws me up against the rock of ages. And this week I learned that a friend of mine at the age of 38 died in his sleep, just like that. And the timing is just incredible in a sense that the Lord is ministering to my heart about the voyage of faith, hope, and love. And it could not be more timely and more poignant points of how our lives on this earth is so brief and can be taken as sojourners. Our life, the stay here is so temporary and how much more we need to live a life that abides in faith, hope, and love. 
You see, when things like this happen in our lives, these events or these circumstances, we're engulfed with waves of emotions. And that's okay. But as long as I'm processing these feelings and these emotions through the spirit of truth, the rock of ages, if I'm being thrown into the rock of ages and I'm giving that wave a kiss, that wave of pain, that wave of what's happened, the rock of ages will stand and he is my rock. But it's that viewpoint of processing all things through the spirit of truth, through the grid, the biblical viewpoint of what suffering is. It's only momentary, as Paul says. It's light, light afflictions compared to the glory. The glory, the hope of glory is ours. It says when you mourn, you can mourn, but don't mourn like those who have no hope. We have hope, the hope of glory. Faith, hope, love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And we're not just left with the understanding that we're always only going to see in parts and it's dim while we're here on earth as sojourners. But it goes on to say, and now abide in faith, hope, and love. The best of these three is love. For now we see dimly, the future glory is not totally revealed yet. But through the Spirit, there is a revealing of every promise that God has made us. There is a revealing, a full revealing of that, that encourages us to step into, to believe and hope for that full glory, that full union with Him. The instructions, when it says, abide in faith, hope, and love. But how the message puts it is, but for now, for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to lead us toward that full consummation of love. To trust steadily in God, to hope unswervingly, and to love extravagantly. See, how we welcome the future in being with him in full union, full glory, yet still live in the presence of knowing him only in part, We need to be able to abide in faith, hope, and love. And the best of these is love. I can't get away from these two verses because to me personally, I feel they contain the entirety and the weight of our entire sojourn on the earth, the voyage of our salvation, the process of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Because we are sojourners, right? Our ancestors were sojourners. They all had a starting point where they encountered the Lord and then they had to journey with him. You see, I think it's easy to go, well, if I'm just on the earth briefly, then maybe it's a, a, a pointless purpose. What's the point? 
But actually, I think if we look at our forerunners, our ancestors, they actually emphasized how how important it is to use our short lives for significance, to enter into what God has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do, made their brief lives significant, made their brief lives completely intentional and purposeful. As brief as their their lives were, they left eternal footprints. Why? Because I believe each of them took the voyage of faith, hope, and love. If we look at Moses for a minute, it talks about um, after he, he killed the Egyptian, he fled, and he found himself at a well. And at this well is where he met his future wife. And they had a son, and they called him Sojourner. And they said, because I am a sojourner in a foreign land. And then as we know, the Lord asked him to lead a people from Egypt into the promised land. And I was thinking about it all week, and I thought, what did Moses need to lead so many people to an unknown land? that is unheard of, has not been seen, knowing for Moses only in part, only from what the Lord had said to him. He only knew in part. He could only speak in part. I don't know if we know how hard it is to live with a telescopic view in the Spirit, and yet try to describe that in a physical reality at times. Words limit that at times. They fail me often. <laughs> Goes on to say that, you know, when the, the people were being oppressed by the Egyptian rulership, that the Lord heard their groaning and he decided to take their groaning to glory. And he's doing the same thing for us today. He is taking our groaning to glory. Hallelujah. (laughs) And last week we heard about a woman who encountered Jesus at Jacob's well. And, you know, when the Lord came and, and spoke to Moses and his plan was to save the people and to, to take, the, take them on this journey. It was because he said he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And last week, last week we heard an incredible message on the woman at the well, the woman at Jacob's well, who met Jesus. And what I love about that story is how Jesus meets with her in a, with common humanity, the Lord Almighty, with common humanity, speaking to a Samaritan woman, and he actually gives her the power to do him a favor. <laughs> Just so you can converse with her. He's so wonderful. And every day, I know, he, he is wanting to encounter and converse with us daily. 
And we can imagine the well, because we see it quite often in the scripture, but it's sort of like, a, like the water cooler at work. It's where all the conversations happen like no other. And um, this lady is about to have a conversation like no other. And the conversation, like no other, started with this powerful question. Will you give me a drink? Now, it was either a question or a statement. It depends on what, um, uh, what version you read. If it's the KBV, the Kirk Bayer version, give me a drink. <laughs> if it's the MBV, the Mel Bayer version, will you please, if you don't mind, give me a drink, please? <laughs> so it depends on what, how we read it. It's either a statement or a question, but the point is... It was him engaging, asking for water. And we know that the woman said, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And then she says this, Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Now, I want to point out that the woman is talking about Jacob. And it's almost like she's forgotten that Jacob is because of a conversation at the well. Jacob bore sons because of an encounter at the well. Israel came from a conversation at the well that started with a powerful question, will you give me a drink? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I want to go to that story this morning about Isaac and Rebecca and how they came to be because of a conversation at the well with that powerful question, the power of the ask, will you give me a drink? Genesis 24. I'm going to give us just a context if you can put your hands up, how many people know the, the story of Genesis 24? Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, Abraham wants to find a wife for his son Isaac, so he sends his servants with um, his camels and with some friends, or, or ten men, I think it was ten men, and he sends them off with gifts. And he makes the servant take an oath that he will find a wife for Isaac but that he would go to the land of his birth, not the land that he's living in currently, but the, the, the land of his family. And so the servant sets out to find this wife for Isaac. And the servant devised a test in order to find the right wife. And as he stood at the central well in Abraham's birthplace, with his men and ten camels, laden with goods, he prayed. God, let it be that a young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he even finished that prayer, Suddenly, this beautiful young girl came out and offered to draw water for him to drink, as well as fill the water trust for all his camels. And Rebecca continued to draw until all the camels were completely satisfied. 
And so we see this, this generous nature of this beautiful woman that the Lord has led the servant to. The servant asked, oh, sorry, I'll go back. So the servant is in awe watching this woman. And immediately, it says, immediately he gave her gifts. He gave her a nose ring, he gave her some bangles, and he gave her gifts. He was impressed, obviously. And then he says to her, is there room in your house for us to lodge? And she says, we have both straw and feed enough and a room to lodge. And so when I read this, the, a question just dropped in my spirit of how hospitable are we to the Holy Spirit? Like Rebecca, not only does she invite them into her home, but she extends that invite into accommodating them completely. And without her realizing, being that accommodating altered her life forever. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when we allow him into our hearts. I love the scripture in Ephesians. It says, um, it's, sorry, it's, I want to say it properly. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, then being grounded and rooted in love. You see, when we are inviting and accommodating the Spirit, we are saying, come make home with me. Will we allow the Spirit to come in so that we can co-labor, that we might be co heirs Because this is what abiding is. It's a co-laboring experience of being together, Him in your heart, making home. From faith, it grows to love. And this co-laboring is energized by the Spirit. It's not a hard labor. It's the Spirit of God in us that is energizing us. It's this love that grows, and we do because we want to. See, faith comes from hearing, and trust comes from abiding. And when we abide, we come to know people. Rebecca, by faith, heard a question and she responded by inviting him in. The message puts it this way. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. See, the, the Holy Spirit, he's a gift and he's moving and breathing in you. It is the most intimate part of your life, which is making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. I know I have and I can. But you know, neglecting him is neglecting our salvation. Intimacy makes us feel alive. It really does. We can't have dead man goals. We're alive in Christ. And what I mean by this is that it says, those who have futile thinking have become without feeling. Do you know what ungodliness is? It's a life that is unconscious of God. When he lives in us and he's living and breathing, he moves us. I listened to Sam's message last Sunday. Anyone listen to that on Ephesians? 
I encourage you to go and listen again. Do you know that the spirit that was speaking so beautifully, it, it caused such a, a praise and worship to come out of me immediately. I was in a realm of praise and worship to the Lord and how good he is, how good his intention is for us. It is moving. He, he is moving. We, we can't be none to him. See, for us, the future glory is guaranteed by our present possession of the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee. He is our possession. He is the first fruits of our redemption. As the servant was the present gift from her groom for Rebecca until she saw him face to face, right? And we know that the Holy Spirit comes with gifts. And it says, you know, in, in 24, verse 22 in Genesis, the servant immediately gave her the golden ring, uh, sorry, the golden nose ring and two golden bracelets. When the servant meets Rebecca, he knows that this one is for Isaac. And he talks to her family and he bestows her with gifts, gifts from Isaac, or actually from Abraham, but sort of on behalf of Isaac. Interesting. Now, does Isaac know who his future wife is at this point? No. Does he wait for her to prove herself worthy before she gets these gifts? No. Before Rebecca has even started her journey or even has said yes, she receives the gifts of her groom freely. Greg said last week, he asked the Lord, why would God pour his gifts out to an immature people? that could abuse the gifts and use it for themselves. And he said that the Lord said, I am the God of faith and I believe in my church. And this is what love is. It says it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, or some translations, a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I want to put why, I, I really want to get the point across of why gifts are important within the church, but they have a place. They are not the be-all, end-all. They are for a purpose, to draw the bride to the groom. And that as she takes the voyage of faith, hope, and love, those gifts are to empower her, to build her up, and to be the reminder that she is betrothed to one man. And as she journeys towards him, she will become more like him. Those are what the gifts are for. God gives enough of himself as a foretaste of what is to come. He gives us his spirit and the gifts. And what I find interesting in 1 Corinthians is that we hear this awesome description about the spiritual gifts, you know, the words of wisdom, the prophecy, healings, tongues. But immediately following from that beautiful description of the gifts and why they're important, Paul says, though we can speak in tongues of um, men and angels, but we, if we have not loved, we're a clanging symbol. If we have the gift of prophecy, listen to this, if we understand all mysteries, 
if we have all the knowledge, all the faith in the world to move mountains, if we do not love, he says, I am nothing. Not, you don't have anything. You have nothing. It's, I am nothing. Immediately after speaking of the gifts and how important they are, but love is the ultimate. The gifts are for the sake of love. And when Paul was saying we are nothing without love, he's speaking to the Corinthian church because they had actually understood the manner in which the spiritual gifts were being used and seen as. They abused the gifts by regarding them as ends in themselves, using the gifts as their own possessions, and listen to this, negating the will of God for the gifts. The will of God. The will of God is everything. It brings us into alignment. It sets us on a straight and narrow road. The will of God with the giving of his gifts is to make the bride ready as part of her preparation to be made perfect and blameless. And like I said, it's a reminder that she is betrothed to one man who is ready to meet her. The Spirit is the down payment that signals to the bride of Christ that God will complete his purchase. Do you know in Genesis 24, back to the story of Rebecca, the servant is, come, comes to her home and the family see that she's been given gifts. They know what's coming. It's, a proposal is on the way. And they, they say to the servant, here, please eat. And he says to them, I will not until... I've told you my, past, my, my um, master's business until we have made wedding arrangements, in other words. He will not eat until the will of God is done. Now, what's, in, what's interesting is if you look at the woman at the well, when the disciples came afterwards and they urged Jesus to eat, what did he say? My, will is to do the father, my food is to do the Father's will. The will of God is everything. And that servant knew what his purpose was and what he was about to do. And he would not eat until the will of God was done. The gifts are for the voyage until love is perfected and we are in union with Christ. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be, will be done away with. Gifts will be done away with, but love will remain. The enduring love of God, which is poured out into the hearts of the believers, of us, by the Holy Spirit, continues into eternity, even after the charismatic gifts have passed. So love, then, is the way that believers experience eternity within time. Does that make sense? Because love is eternal and love remains, we get to experience eternity within time. Rebecca, in receiving the servant and the gifts, it was her foretaste of her life to come with her groom. But first she would have to voyage, take the voyage of faith, 
hope and love, with the presence of the helper and his gift to encourage her along the way. Remember, for Rebecca, she could only see in parts. She could only hear in parts. Everything for her was in part, and hence why she had to go through, take the voyage towards Isaac and, and believe. And she would have to trust that the servant, everything the servant would say about her groom, that's what she had to take his word on. And it's the same for us today. Everything the Holy Spirit reveals is revealing the groom, is revealing Christ. So more so, we, we have to have our ear inclined to what the Spirit is saying. We have to make room for him in our hearts to live, to lead and guide us into all truth. Um. With the gifts, you know, Moses, when he was leading the people to the promised land, the people were pretty much becoming annoying, okay? They were groaning, they were upset, they wanted to go back to um, Egypt, and Moses is crying out to the Lord, and he's like, these people, like, help me out. So the Lord says, get the elders, 70 men, and he, he, he pours his spirit out, and the spirit... Um, especially lands on two men who start prophesying. And Joshua, at the time, comes to Moses and he says, make them stop, they're prophesying. And what does Moses say? He goes, are you jealous for me? I, I wish that the Lord would cause every man to be a prophet and prophesy, that the Spirit would land on every person. Why? So that he doesn't have to put up with the grumbling and groaning, the prophecy. See, when we know the will of God, we prophesy it into being. That is the importance of prophecy. That's why Paul says, prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. Each one of us has the Spirit of God on us. We should be a prophetic people. Prophesying what? Prophesying the hope of glory is to come. It is ours. And we are walking in faith, hope, and love until love is perfected. Can we see why, as individuals with gifts, we are to to live in them and to take part in them in order, not for, not for the Lord. The Lord doesn't need a word of encouragement. He doesn't need the gift of teaching. He doesn't, he doesn't need that. We need it. We need it in order to, to journey towards the purpose and the will of God. It's, we take part in it as a body. I hope that makes sense. The servant shares with the family how God led him to Rebecca and what happened at the well and then makes the proposal invite for Rebecca to become a bride. And uh, her family say yes. So the servant and his men the next morning are ready to leave with Rebecca. And the family says, you need to personally ask her if she's going to go. And so he does. And Rebecca arose with her maids. They mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. In Psalm 45, in the message, it says, Now listen, daughter, and don't miss a word. Forget your country and put your home behind you. Be here, because the king is wild for you. Since he's your lord, adore him. Wedding gifts pour in from Tyre, and rich gifts shower you with presents. And I read the psalm last week, and today my daughter turns five, and 
I read this and I, I sent it to her email. She's got a little email that I, I kind of will encourage her in, and then one day when she reads it, she'll sort of know mummy's thoughts in the spirit for her. And, you know, it was the sense of like as a mother, I could hear myself saying this to her one day. Listen, daughter, don't miss a word of the Lord. Go and leave this country, leave this home. Put it aside and go after the Lord who is wild for you. Because I know that home is the best home. And that is where she will be found. Her, her life hidden in Christ. When she sees him, she will become. Her life hidden in Christ. As a mother, that is my hope for my daughters. That they would leave all things for the word of Christ. For the word of God. So Rebecca has to make this decision on whether she is going to leave her homeland. And sometimes I think we don't realize that, you know, being made holy means separating. Being loyal sometimes means separating. Because being separated means sometimes active, well, always actively following Christ where he goes. You see, if without faith we have no vision for a future city, we're not going to go to a new country. We're not going to travel to a new country without faith. Without hope, we won't dare to leave what is familiar and tangible for something that is unseen. We won't do it. We won't leave things for something that is unheard of or has not been our experience yet. But love can't mature without trusting in the un seen and the unheard of yet in the spirit we hear and we see <laughs> right the gifts to us as a church are free but the maturity of church of the church is expensive for rebecca leaving all she knew her family her land she left it all in the pursuit of love by faith and in hope in our pursuit of love it will cost us Hence why Paul says, pursue love, desire gifts. Pursue love, desire gifts on the way <laughs> to help you get there. In Psalm 45 again, it says, Lined with gold by the weavers, all her dresses and robes are woven with gold. She is led to the king and followed by her virgin companions. A procession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance to the king's palace. I love the song. She is led to the king. Rebecca was being led to her groom. We are being led to Christ. And sometimes when our faith is becoming great, our sight is now beyond the land we have left and we're cleaving to our new home where we are one with the groom. As we take that journey of faith, hope and love, others might not. But as we as we voyage closer to him, we become brighter in our gifts, in the garments he gives us to wear, the acts of righteousness. We become brighter as we become closer. And what happens when someone sees someone going into the courts of the king and she's becoming brighter, they will follow. They will go because they see. It's the demonstration. And so we hear how Rebecca goes and her, her nurse and her maidservants follow. 
they have no idea how much they're going to benefit from this new life either, right? The will of God is our sanctification. And sanctification starts with a circumcision of heart that sets us apart. The encounter at the well, the encounter of the well, is there faith to hear, give me a drink? Are we conscious of God daily? At the water cooler, at work even, right? Every day is a new day where he's asking us to let him in. And then, will you come with me? You know, the one thing about gifts is that the Lord bestows them. And when it comes to maturity, he actually draws the bride to himself first, and then she matures. He doesn't wait for her to mature and then go, okay, you can come to me now. He draws her to himself first, and then she matures. See, Abraham sent the servant to find Isaac, his wife, and he said, go to my family, not anyone outside of it. Why? Because Abraham even knew then that he, his family was to be a separate people. And so our loyalty to the Lord will be tested sometimes with a question. Just as we've heard how Jesus questioned the young ruler and how he questioned the woman at the well. Because these questions hit the heart, and they actually separate issues for us. Will you or won't you? When the servant was asked by Abraham if he would go and get a wife for Isaac, Abraham had a a real question. What if the woman wouldn't follow? And I think that's the same question for us today. The Spirit's asking, what if she doesn't follow? What if the church does not follow? And if we do follow, then it's taking that voyage of abiding in faith, hope, and love. See, everyone must begin their relationship at this place, this place of personal relationship where we have accepted the covenant that the Lord has offered us. And from this beginning, we embark on a spiritual voyage that in many ways is actually very similar to the previous forerunners. When I reckon when we are able to look back with the vantage or the viewpoint of eternity, I actually think we are going to be amazed at how, how our life was lived so, similarity, so similar to those before us and after us. That we would resonate with, the, with Abraham as our father. That's our lineage, Right? There's no shortcuts in the sanctification process. The woman at the well, I I wonder in John 4 if she realized what she was saying when she said, are you greater than Jacob? When Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, rejoiced at the day that he would see Christ. You see, her lineage goes back to Jacob. And at the well, Jacob's well was what nourished her. It's what gave her a future. It was her hope. It's what kept kept her surviving and living a life. That was her hope of glory. But Jacob, where did Jacob come from? Right? 
right, coming to a close. Um, a few months back, um, I was in Australia, and I met a woman who is an experience who is an experienced sojourner. What I mean by that is she knows what it means to stay temporarily in a place um, without the stability of a home um, and having any one place as a home was not something she had experienced as a young girl. She was um, a child that was caught in the uh, Liberian Civil War in 1989. And that was one of the deadliest and bloodiest bloodiest civil war in an African nation. 200,000 people were slaughtered. Child soldiers were killing people, were killing children, And this is what she saw with her own eyes through the view of a child. And funny enough, I met her while standing with others drinking cups of water. (laughs) Not by a water cooler as such, but we were chatting with with our, our water. But little did I know that I was about to have a conversation like no other. As we were conversing, she pulled out a book that she was writing. It was her um, edit-proof read, and um, I read the front of it, and it was called My Red Sea. And on the back, it's, I read it quickly, and it was about her story, her journey from, um, from death to life. And it was pretty much the voyage of faith, hope, and love that she had to undertake. Um, she, she actually quoted in her despair and her hopelessness, she said, I feared living another day where I would fail at living. <laughs> to go from such hopelessness to then declare that Christ is the hope of glory. That doesn't happen overnight. That's a voyage of faith, hope, and love. Now, months before this, I was praying into making the decision of whether I should go to Australia in the first place, and if this was the will of God that I go. The trip would cost um, a bit of money, and I really needed to know if this was what the Lord was asking me to do, because I, I knew then the provision would come, but also there was purpose to it, more than what I might have imagined. So um, while I was reading this book one day in my time with the Lord, I prayed to him and I said, Lord, I I really just need to know if this is what you're asking me to do because it had been a huge process of of asking and waiting and resisting pretty much. But um, I said, I just just need to know. And a a few minutes later, no joke, a $50 Australian note had fallen out the book. Perfect. Not one crumple, not... It, it, it was perfect. It's like it had come from heaven. And it was an Australian note, which, you know, to, to go to Australia to do this course was... An, I had to pay in Australian dollars. And so I was like, okay. But weirded out, but I was like, this is, 
my sign. And so even then, my mum called and she said, what are we doing? Are you, are you going to go to Australia? I said, oh, mum, I just don't know if this is what God's asking me. But, you know, this, this money fell out of the book. Mum's like, right, you're going. Here's, you know, and she, she um, helped with the provision. And, um, and that was it. And later in the afternoon, again, I was just spending time with the Lord, and I was like, what is this money about? And he said, Melissa, there's going to be a moment on this course and you're just going to know, or in this time away, not even on the course, he said in this time away, and you're going to know that it's significant. And it's going to be a spiritual moment because I, again, that's my personal journey of uh, trying to divide things between sacred and secular. And anyway, he had to work some stuff out of me, let's just say that. But he said, you're going to know that this is me and you're going to know when to give it. And to be honest, um, I stretched that thought out to probably taking mum out for dinner to say thank you. That was going to be the moment. I didn't think about it again until I met the author of this book. It was the first half an hour of the first day of course that she walked in while I was sipping my water, talking, and had a conversation like no other. When I finished that conversation with her, I sat down and, and I hadn't even thought about the $50 until the Holy Spirit just nudged me and he said, hey, that $50, that's for her. And I was like, what? Okay. And so I had to find a time to, to not sound weird and go to her and go, hey, look, this is what happened. My time with the Lord, this money came, it's not mine, it's for you. He's asking me to give it to you, and it's, it's an investment into your book. It's an investment into the message that Christ is the hope of glory. It's not, even, it's not from me. It's the provision of the Lord. Here you go. She didn't say much. She was quite speechless, actually. But later, she came to me, and uh, she said, you know, it took me 12 years to write this book because of the reminiscing and the, the going back and processing what she had seen, the feelings, all of that she had to process, and it took her 12 years. And at one point she, had, she took a break because it was just too much. And actually it was becoming a financial burden on her family to get this book published. She had a dream that night. And she looked at her book and it had gone from a digital copy to a physical copy. The book opened up in her dream, and there were all these foreign notes. And she took it as the Lord encouraging me to keep going, and he would provide on the way. Now, I know that that was the Lord presenting provision in a book for a reality of a book that was going to come past my way. But... The money as a gift. I didn't wait to read her book to go, is it worthy of my $50? I didn't have to wait. I didn't wait for her to prove herself to me to be, to be anything, you know, super special. I knew that the Lord was saying, here, this is for her. So that gift was to encourage her along her journey in faith, hope, and love. Right? And I know that the Lord led me to her. Now, the will of God, it, 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 
It's not about me going to Australia. It's just that's part of my journey towards the will of God of becoming one with the Lord. But faith, you see, when I heard from the Spirit, here is the money and it's going to be for a moment. That was before it became a physical reality. So now my faith goes to hope. There's going to be a moment. I come into hope. Hope turns into experience. And that hope now provides love for a fellow believer who's taking a walk and having a moment, who needs encouragement. You see, gifts, the gifts are for love, to build us up in love, to mature us in love, to be one with the Lord. That's just a small picture of what faith, hope, and love, when we abide in it, what it can express and what it can do, right, in the bigger picture. Gifts will fade, but love will remain. As the servant led Rebecca to her new home and, and groom, she is carried by the camels that she watered the night before. Love that. It's a radical turnaround in her life from a life-changing encounter at a well. Now, Rebecca has never seen Isaac before, and she asks the servant, who is that man walking towards us? And the servant said that, That is my master. And I love that because it's only through the spirit that the groom is revealed. And the spirit is in service to his master. And he will lead his groom, his bride, the groom's bride, to the groom. That is his will. That, that is his purpose, sorry, is that it's the will of God that she would be made in full union and in glory with him. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Until that time, the voyage of faith, hope, and love is necessary for this age as sojourners. But love is the best of three. Why is that? Because in the age to come, faith will give way to sight. And hope will become experience. And love, well, that's eternal. Because God is love. Cool. I, I, uh, <laughs> I hope that is a clear picture of why, as a church and as followers of Christ, we are to ab- abide in faith, hope, and love, and that we see the gifts in its place within the story and the voyage towards our groom for the ultimate and perfected union of love. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. The sniffles. He's so good. Um, and uh, I want to encourage us all tonight to come out to, to hear um, f- from the Lord on the book of Ephesians. Chris Logan, yes, yes. And, you know, it's like, come here, Chris, but it doesn't actually matter who's speaking because the Lord is speaking. <laughs> but please come out. It's amazing. Um, I was blown away last week, like I said. Um, and, yeah, God is doing good things here. Be encouraged. Love you all and thank you.